Good morning. I do ask that you pray for Brother Joe as he is under the weather, not feeling well. The Bible college I went to, Trinity College, had a specific phrase. They always drilled into our heads. Be ready to pray, preach, die, or sing at a moment's notice. And uh, there's been many times down through the years that Karen and I in our ministry to church, different churches have had to do that at the last minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was uh, times when as we were leading music, the person scheduled for maybe special music or was to sing a solo in the choir or whatever, guess what? They got sick during Saturday night. So we had to scramble to get things around. There have been times we've asked, you know, the preacher gets sick or, or a Sunday school teacher gets sick, we had to fill in for that. And that, that's not I'm complaining by any means, but I do know that when God gives you a talent or a gift, Use it for him. Don't complain about it. Thank the Lord that he gives you the opportunity to use that gift to glorify him, whatever that is. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our God. who's given us so much here, but yet down the road, there is so much more to come. Thank you so much for that. And Father, this morning, as we look at your word, as we talk this morning about redemptive love, Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, and most of all, may Jesus Christ be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to tell you a story. There's a family whose middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. And they had the best of intentions when they adopted this little girl. She's around eight years old. But they never integrated the adopted daughter into their family with their biological children. Two years went by, and it's very rough years, and so they dissolved the adoption. This eight-year-old little girl went to live with a new family. And when the previous family had gone to Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, to vacation in Orlando, they took the biological children but left the adopted daughter with a friend every time they would go. And in the child's mind, she had something wrong that kept her family from, uh, that kept her family from letting her go with them. Well, as time went by, the new family adopted her and she had heard about the magic kingdom she had heard about the characters she had heard about the rides she had heard about the parades and all the spectacular lights and and all this that goes on at disney world and with her old family she was always left outside the gates of the magic kingdom experience had taught the new family that for a child seeing an oversized mouse and an oversized duck would turn into a squirming bundle of emotional instability at times and when they didn't expect, what they didn't expect was that the prospect of visiting the dream known as the Magic Kingdom would produce downright devilish behavior in their newest daughter. The month before the trip, she stole food when a simple request would suffice. 
She lied. She whispered insults crafted to hurt her older sister and her adopted family. And as time moved closer for the trip, mutiny multiplied in her life. Two days before they started on their trip to Florida, the father pulled the daughter on, her lap, on his lap to talk to her about the last few escapades that she had done. She piped up and said, I know, I know, you're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? This thought had never crossed this parent's mind. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the Magic Kingdom, and as she tried and failed that test many, many times with both families, she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from the most magical place on earth, the Magic Kingdom. By God's grace, the father didn't give in to the thoughts of leaving her behind at that time. Instead, he asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded her big brown eyes, yes. Are you a part of this family, he asked. She again nodded, yes. Well, he told her she was going to the Magic Kingdom with them. And he told her there would be many, there would probably be some consequences for the way she had been acting to help her remember right from wrong, but assured her that she would never be left behind. Her behavior spiraled out of control at every rest stop and hotel on the trip. Now, y'all have never had that problem with kids before, have you? Never. Especially going to the Magic Kingdom. Well, the evening after they went to Disney, a different child emerged. She was exhausted, she kind of weepy at times. The facade of rebellion had faded away. And at bedtime, the father prayed with her and hugged her and, and asked her, how was your first day at Disney? She closed her eyes, snuggled into the stuffed, her stuffed unicorn. And after a few moments, she opened her eyes, big brown eyes, and looked at him and, and said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. Think about that statement for a second. It wasn't because I was good. It was because I'm yours. As we start our disciples' journey down the road of redemptive love, remember... It wasn't because we were good. It's because we belong to Him. When Jesus gave the words in John 13, verse 34, which says this, A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. When He gave those words, it was to be the mark by which His followers were recognized. They probably stem from uh, the answer he gave in Matthew 22 when a lawyer had asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, this is a new commandment that I give you. The first thing I want you to think about is that disciples must always be known by redemptive love. Disciples must always be known by redemptive love. Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. 
when he uttered those words, redemptive love was manifested by Christ. How did Christ manifest redemptive love? He manifested it by humbling himself to wash the feet of Judas, who would later betray him. He humbled himself by washing Peter's feet, the one who would later deny him three times. And he humbled himself by washing the rest of the disciples' feet, the ones who would later forsake him, all but John followed afar off. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. It's more than human love. In our passage in 1 John, we see the difference between the absence of redemptive love and the presence of redemptive love. The first thing I want you to see about redemptive love is the absence of redemptive love. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 10. I know we didn't read it a while ago, but I want to read it now. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now look down at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now Jesus used some, uh, John used some pretty strong words. He used the word hate in John 3, 1 John 3.15. And I think this is kind of reminiscent of the story he told in starting in verse 12 about Cain, who's the picture, the, the epitome of jealousy and inward hate. Genesis 4 tells us the story of Cain and Abel. Cain was a, far, uh, was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. Both of them brought offerings to the Lord. And after sin entered in the world, God demanded blood sacrifice for the innocent, from the innocent one for the atonement of sin. In Hebrews, the writer testifies this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. So God's word teaches us that God accepted Abel's sacrifice because of faith. Evidently, Cain of faith ignored God's instructions and brought a sacrifice of the ground, not of blood. He tried to pay for the sacrifice himself. This was not acceptable to God. Cain tried to be good. He tried to measure up on his own. But what does the Bible tell us? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on to tell us that without faith it's impossible to please God. And in another place, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, should any man boast. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The absence of redemptive love can lead to unrighteousness and hatred in relation to others. It's like someone saying, well, I don't like brother so-and-so because he thinks he's more spiritual than other people. Or it's like another person that says, I don't agree with the preacher, so I'm not going back to that church. Or another person says, I don't like the songs we sing. There's too many new songs. I like the old songs. And you have other people, I don't like the old songs. We don't sing enough new songs. Get over it, people. You you, you know what my father-in-law would say at that? Up your hairy leg with a lawnmower. And after a period of time, that small resentment that you have turns into hatred. Hatred then turns into bitterness. And bitterness into rage. And rage eventually into murder. John told us in verse 15 of our text, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The biggest roadblock to victory is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Listen to the words from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Now, if you turn there, the the ESV does not have verse 26. Some manuscripts included it, some didn't. For clarification today, I'm going to include it. Mark 11, 25 and 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. As God's children, we were created to be channels of His love, channels of His character in this world. This world is dark. We are to be the light in that world. The only thing that can block the flow of is, this flow is sin. Any sin will do. It doesn't matter. Any sin will block the flow. Of his love and his character. We're easily convicted of sins like lust and lying and stealing. We're readily to recognize these sins and confess and repent of them to be forgiven. But when someone, you let someone come along and hurt us or abuse us, reject us or offend us, we normally feel justified in resenting that person back. Who do they think they are to treat me that way? The truth is, unforgiveness is sin that we haven't faced yet. Unforgiveness is sin that we haven't faced yet. The only way we can confess and repent of this sin is to first forgive the person who has offended us. Unforgiveness is roadblock number one. Roadblock number two is bitterness. Bitterness. Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and who are murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Anger in the heart creates the condition of a criminal. When Jesus said, you're in danger of hellfire, the word used there is the word Gehenna. 
Gehenna is a place outside of Jerusalem where they threw the bodies of criminals and burned them. The root of bitterness produces fruit. Every root produces fruit of one kind or another. If it's good, a good root, it's going to produce good fruit. If it's bad root, it's going to produce bad fruit. Physical disorders, emotional problems, spiritual disorders, inability to love others, ineffective prayers, a lack of faith. In Psalm 32, David gives us a description of his having dealt with unconfessed sin, the unconfessed sin of murder of Uriah and adultery with Bathsheba. Listen to his words. And he spent one to two years before he confessed. He dealt with that for one to two years. Listen to these words. For I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my groan, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What he's describing there is his physical being by not confessing the sin. The other thing he's describing is the Spirit of God convicting his heart and his soul and his body, his mind, about the sins that he committed and did not confess. I want you to consider this quote from a book called None of These Diseases by Dr. McMillan. The moment I start hating a man, I became his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentments produce too many stress hormones in my body, and I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. The work I formerly enjoyed is now drudgery. Even vacations cease to give me pleasure. The man I hate hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. That's a medical doctor describing what happens when a person hates someone. So we see the absence of redemptive love is detrimental to individuals. And if it's detrimental to individuals, guess what? So goes the individual, so goes the church. So goes the church. The voice of bitterness, we see the root of bitterness, but the voice of bitterness is gossip and murmuring. Oh, we don't want to talk about that preacher. You've gone from preaching to meddling here. We can't do that. Listen. It's this, this very thing that caused many Israelites to die in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. They never experienced the joy of that promised land that God gave them. Don't be guilty of the voice of bitterness. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll find in one place, 3,000 died because of murmuring. And in another place, 12,700 died. You think God is not serious about this deal of murmuring? And when they murmured against Moses, they thought they were going against Moses. And Moses turned around and said, you're not murmuring against me. You're murmuring against God in heaven. And because of that, that's why you're going to pay the price. Don't be guilty of the voice of bitterness. Unforgiveness and bitterness both produce fruit that destroys our lives, both physically and spiritually and emotionally. So we see the absence of redemptive love produces the fruit of destruction now I want us to see the presence of redemptive love. Redemptive love is, is the result of what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for us. In 1 John 4, 9, just one page over, 
Listen to what it says. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the manifestation of redemptive love. The manifestation of redemptive love. It's through Jesus Christ that we see this manifestation of love. The second thing we see is the magnification of love. Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The magnification of love is seen in Christ and the mercy shown us on the cross. As we think about this loving kindness that God showed us, I'm reminded of a little boy's description of loving kindness. He said, if I'm hungry and you give me a peanut butter sandwich, that's kindness. But he said, if I'm hungry, you give me a peanut butter sandwich, and you spread some strawberry jam on that peanut butter sandwich, that is loving kindness. Think about that for a minute. There's an old song that says this, had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for God's Son called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. Redemptive love is a result of what Jesus did for us. Secondly, redemptive love is a result of what you can do for yourself. Yeah, God wants us to do some things for ourselves sometimes. If the biggest roadblock to victory is unforgiveness, then the biggest bridge to victory is forgiveness. What is forgiveness? I'm going to say this a couple of times, so listen. Forgiveness is an act of the will done by faith before God in which we give up our right to hold another person accountable for the wrong they have done to us. I'm going to read that again for you. Forgiveness is an act of the will done by faith before God in which we give up our right to hold another person accountable for the wrong they have done to us. That's what forgiveness is. We become, when we become a child of God, we give up all of our rights to Him. That even means the right to hold others accountable for the wrong they did to me. You don't have that right anymore as a child of God. That belongs to Jesus. We laid it at the cross when we came to Him that day. In Luke 6, 37, we see these words. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Listen, there are two things love does not do. Judge or condemn. But listen close. We cannot read people's motives or their heart. In this sense, we are not to judge. But... We are to judge between good and evil. 
We are, as it were, to be fruit inspectors as a person will bear the fruit from which their root is derived. The fact that we're forgiven because we forgive has nothing to do with our salvation, but everything to do with our walk and life in Christ. In Philippians, remember the words of Paul? He said, walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul said this to the church at Colossae, to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The first thing he says there, bear with one another. Bear with one another. Now when you have a baby, you inherit certain things. One is bottle feeding. Even the most inconvenient times. Listen, in the church we have baby Christians that need to be bottle fed from time to time. So those of us who are a little more mature, don't get upset when a baby Christian comes and says, listen, I need help. The second thing, they need burping. They need burping. How many remember those days when you had to burp a baby? And sometimes it manifested itself in more than just a sound. Remember those days? The third thing you have to do is change dirty diapers. That's the fun part, isn't it? Listen, I, a while ago, and I get so, t I, I, I get so, my heart is just overflowing with joy when I hear, like a while ago, our resident baby, Zach, as we were singing, guess what he was doing? He was singing. He was singing. I want to share with you just a very brief story about a little girl that came into our family's life a few, uh, many years ago. Chad and Tim were probably kindergarten age, thereabouts. Her name was Gina. Gina was five years old but had the mentality of about a one-and-a-half or two-year-old. And we, we got a call from DFACS, which is Department of Family and Children's Services in Georgia, and we had put our names in the hopper to be respite care. Respite care is where somebody needs immediate, short-term care to help with a child. We brought this child home, and here's this five-year-old, you would think, could talk, could uh, eat, could uh, use the bathroom on their own, none of the above. But the only thing we didn't have to do is burp. We had to take care of everything else. When she'd sit down at the table and eat, no fork, no knife, no spoon, nothing, she would just take her hands and just shovel it in, like it's the last meal she was going to have. The first night she was in our home, we took her in her bedroom. We had a third bedroom with a, a full-size bed on it for her to stay in. We took her and put her in the bed, and before we could get to the door to shut the light out, she got up out of the bed, went in the closet, shut the door, and said, night-night. That says a lot about where she came from, doesn't it? As time went on, Gina was a handful. But one thing Gina loved, she loved music. And was pastoring a church in Georgia, a small Southern Baptist church in Georgia, in Manchester, Georgia. 
And I told the people in the church, I said, listen, Gina, we're going to bring her to church. We're not going to put her in the nursery. We're going to bring her to church. I asked a couple of the resident grandmas to sit and watch her and help us with that while I was preaching and Karen was playing piano, etc. And wouldn't you know it, when we started singing, she calmed down. She would dance back and forth and just, ah, but that was her worship of God. God created us to be worshipers of him. That was her way of worshiping her creator. I couldn't understand a word she said, but I tell you what God did. As time went on, we implemented some biblical forms of discipline at times, and we told defects what we were doing. And when they came for their first visit, they could not believe the fact that Gina would sit at a table before we would eat. Even if Chad and Tim forgot, she would sit there, she would fold her hands like that, pray. We'd pray. She'd pick up her spoon and eat her food normally. She couldn't talk when she came to us. And the day came when we had to give her to another family for more long-term care. That broke our hearts. She loved a pair of blue jeans she had. And when we were packing things up, out of her mouth piped these words, Gina's jeans. You know, we could have very easily given up on that child. and said, hey, she's too much. She's a handful. Yes, she was a handful. My hair wasn't falling out too much that time, but I got a good head start on it then. Let me say this. God will bring people into your life that need your help. They may not be a baby physically, but emotionally, spiritually, they need your help. Babies depend totally upon the adults to take care of them. Baby Christians depend totally upon older Christians to take care of them. Listen, if you have a baby that is born and you leave that baby on the delivery table, what's going to happen to that baby? He's going to die. Consequently, if we have baby Christians born into our congregation, and you leave them on the delivery table, as it were. And you don't take the time to pray with them and, and disciple them. What's going to happen? They're going to die spiritually. You bear these things because you love the child. Likewise, not only do we bear with one another, but he goes on and said, forgive one another even as there is a complaint against us. There are three steps to forgiveness. One is agreement. Agreement. Agree with God that your attitude of anger, bitterness, and resentment, and unforgiveness are inconsistent with your true identity in Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Agreement. Next thing is action. As an act of your will, choose to forgive the people you need to forgive. This may be including yourself. We're often harder on ourselves than we are on others. Forgive yourself. Another person you may have to forgive, some people think it's sacrilegious to think of this, but it's not. You may have to forgive God. 
Some people are so angry and they blame God for everything in their life. Even though God has done nothing wrong, sometimes we harbor resentment toward Him for the circumstances He's allowed us to live into our lives. This list needs to include anyone else, anyone else that you may be angry with, bitter toward, or hold resentment for. Or, on the other hand, if you know they have anger toward you, bitterness toward you, resentment toward you, guess what? The Bible says if you know that's to be the case, you're to go to that person and make things right. Consider the fact that you may need to go to that person who has wronged you. Seek reconciliation. Say, well, that's not possible. The person that we had problems with is dead now or whatever. Listen, God will give you the grace you need when you need it. If someone that you were angry with or whatever is dead now, you know what? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And claim that in the name of Jesus Christ. Agreement and action, but the last step is acceptance. Accept Christ's love and thank Him for the loving these people through you. Accept Christ's forgiveness for these wrong attitudes. Matthew 6:14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And accept the fact that you can have victory over bitterness and guilt. It is possible, my friend. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word used there in the Greek is the word rhema. Now, rhema and logos are very similar. They're kin. They're kissing cousins. But here the word rhema means spoken word. As in Matthew, where Jesus used the spoken word of God to thwart the advanced temptations of the devil. So we are to use the rhema of the Word of God when things like this come into our lives. Unforgiveness is a wall. The song we sang just a few minutes ago, More to Come, it talks about the wall in Jer of Jericho, a great walled city. God says, I have given this city into your hands. All you got to do is go and claim it. He had a certain way for them. They had to do some act, certain actions. But God said, go and claim the, the city. God promised it to them. God delivered the land to Israel, but Israel had to go and possess it. Just as Israel possessed the land, we can possess the land, as it were, of unforgiveness when it takes over in our lives. You must be willing to forgive and not hold that person accountable. You must, in your heart, And, and you may have to verbalize this to a person, too. I forgive you, whoever, for whatever it is. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of his resurrected life, I take back the ground I've allowed Satan to gain in my life because of my attitude towards whoever. My life belongs to Jesus Christ, and I acknowledge that he is Lord of my life. I no longer live in the state of unforgiveness. Some of you cannot show redemptive love because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
But God chose His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Secondly, you can't show redemptive love because you will continue to hold on to your hatred and bitterness. As we think about redemptive love, I'm reminded of another eight-year-old little girl who did something wrong that, that caused her to feel alienated from her mother. The mom tried to help, but the daughter ran upstairs in a rage of anger, very angry at her mom. What a reason. She saw her mother's new dress on the bed, retrieved a pair of scissors, and became little Sally scissor hands with the dress and tried to injure her mother by cutting up the dress, the brand new dress. Later, the mother came upstairs, saw the dress, and sat down and just cried, just wept bitterly. Soon, the little eight-year-old entered the room and whispered, Mother, Mother, no answer. She repeated even louder, Mother, Mother, still no reply. She said, Oh, Mom, Mom, please. Mom looked at her and said, Please what? Sally looked at her mom and said, Please take me back. Please take me back. Listen, that is what redemptive love does. It takes people back. Love never ends. It reaches out until complete redemption is realized. Listen, be known by redemptive love. Take the one back who has wronged you. Forgive and love the one who has abused you. I encourage you, don't wait till next week when we have the Lord's Supper to try to make things right. Go to them today. Don't wait until next week. Make things right today. Jesus said, by redemptive love, men will know that you are my disciples. Redemptive love is only possible for those who have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. As we prepare to sing that song again, more to come. It's so great to know that the world we have here is not all there is. We have eternal life to look forward to. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb to look forward to. We have eternity to worship and praise our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, God takes us back, not because we are good, but because we are His child. Let's bow our heads together. As the worship team comes, right now where you're sitting, I want you to pray and ask God to reveal to you who in this place today you need to make things right with. Maybe that person is not here today. Maybe they're not here. But you know where they are. If you're a child of God, don't go through another 24 hours without making things right. Between you and God, within you and your other people that you know has a problem with you or you have a problem with them. Now, there may be some here today who cannot 
go through the steps of redemptive love because you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I invite you today to make that a reality in your life. At the end of this service, Brother Tim and I will be down front. If the Lord has spoken to your heart today and you want us to pray with you, maybe even show you from the Word of God how much Jesus loves you, I'm here to tell you there's more to come.